and good morning. I uh, hope you guys are good. hope you're having a good weekend. Um, I'm excited about today. We're going to continue the Broken series today, um, and we're actually going to start that today in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Um, we were in 1 Samuel last week, and uh, we're going to start there again today. Um, first, before we jump into that, I want to remind you that uh, coming up this Friday is the worship night, um, and I want to encourage you to come out for that. Uh, it's going to be uh, just a good time where we get to worship, we get to sing, but we also are going to spend time praying, um, praying for people, praying for our nation, praying uh, for this community. And so uh, I want to encourage you to be a part of that and uh, come out Friday night at 6.30 and uh, just join us as we uh, do what we should do, really, and that's worship God, right? Um, not just here, but all the time. And so I hope you'll be a part of that. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 13, and then we're going to flip over to 2 Samuel um, chapter 11. Last week, we talked about King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Uh, he was uh, made king because the people requested that they could have a king uh, like the other nations around them. It didn't please the Lord, but he gave them Saul as king. And we talked last week about how Saul struggled uh, in his life and did so many things driven by fear versus uh, being filled with faith and trusting God's word. In fact, his biggest downfall is he never really came to a place where he trusted God's word. And uh, so he was oftentimes disobedient to God's word. And so God took the kingdom from him. He tells Samuel to let Saul know this, and, and we're going to read this in just a second. But the kingdom is transferred uh, to, to uh, King David, who at the time that Samuel anoints him to be king is probably between 12 and 16 years old. And it would be a good while later before he actually becomes king officially, but God had anointed him uh, to be the king. And so we're going to read here where Saul has been disobedient. Um, God uh, is promising now through Samuel that he's going to anoint another king. And, and I want you to hear what it says here in 1 Samuel 13 um, and 14. It says, you have done a foolish thing. Samuel said, he's speaking to Saul about not being obedient to God's word. He says, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and that's going to be important, a man after his own heart, and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now let's flip forward uh, several years and we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now in this time between all these chapters and during all these years, David uh, has done a lot of great things. He has lived a life of faith. He has um, slain Goliath. He has beaten the Philistines. He has um, at this point pretty much subdued every enemy that Israel had. Um, it becomes uh, or is the beginning of a time of peace. Um, but what we're going to see is David, um, he sins greatly. And we're going to read this in a second. But after this time, uh, his kingdom um, and really his family was um, in this uh, turmoil. There was tragedy in the family. It was often fighting. He had 
uh, two of his sons who tried to take the kingdom from him. And so he, he really gets into a place where uh, for the rest of his life, he's, he's really trying to keep the kingdom. And so I want to read this in 2 Samuel 11, and, uh, 1 through 5. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. And so let's pray. I want to talk some today about David's life and how he got to this point, but what he also did afterwards. So let's pray. God, thank you for um, your word, and I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you, Lord, that um, you've revealed yourself to us, and you've done that through your word and the power of your spirit, God. I thank you that you sent Jesus to us to uh, show us who you are, to show us your heart, to show us your intentions, and God, to let us see this plan of reconciliation that you've established, God, through your cross. Lord, I just pray that our eyes would be open to see clearly today, not to focus on maybe what we've always seen or what we've always known, God, but that we would focus our eyes and be intent about you and about seeing you, hearing your voice, and God, knowing you. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and his power that's here now. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you have ever been on a trip or maybe off to school or whatever it might be, and uh, you were gone for a few days, maybe even longer, and once you got home, like you were so ready to go back home, right? Anybody ever been in that situation? Yeah. Even on vacation, sometimes I get where I'm like, I just want to get back home, right? I took a trip to Poland one time with my oldest son, and we got over there, and worst food I've ever eaten in my life. And I was so glad to get back home. Every time we saw a McDonald's, we stopped and we would eat because we were like, we didn't know when the next meal might come. And so um, it was crazy. But I was so glad to get home. I was so glad to be able to come home. And today we're going to talk about a subject that oftentimes when we hear it, it brings up a negative connotation. But as we talk about it, I want you to think about this from the standpoint of it being us coming home, right? It's it's a good thing for us. It's a great thing for us. And the word we're going to use a lot today is the word repentance. But we've always heard this with this negative um, connotation, this negative way of of seeing it. It's, It's oftentimes been something that we've looked at as bad. We've had uh, people maybe um, scream at us to repent or, um, you know, turn or burn or the end is near or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, 
And sometimes that's how we think of it. That's our picture of it. But today, I want us to see it differently. I want us to see it as a good thing. I want us to see that this is an opportunity that God's given us that he didn't have to give us. And that it's the way of returning to our Father. It's a way of coming home where we really belong if our faith is in Christ. He's adopted us as his children. We aren't strangers or enemies to him anymore. Now we've become his. And it's through repentance that we turn from our sin and we turn from our own ways and we come back to our father. And so I want us to see that today. As we look at the life of King David and think about the life of King David, um, he is a king who from his life on, every king of Israel would be compared to. Um, he is the sort of the standard for what a king should be. And we look at his life and from his lineage, Jesus, the savior of the world, the Messiah would come. And so when we look at him, we see where God in the beginning of David's uh, king, uh, kingship and the beginning of his rule and the beginning when he's still a shepherd boy, God anoints him. And the reason it says God chooses him is because he's a man after God's own heart. And so we see this throughout David's life is that he had a love for God. He had a love for God's word. Um, he had recognized um, who God is. He understood um, his greatness. He had experienced God and his faithfulness, um, whether he was out um, with the sheep or whether he was fighting Goliath or the Philistine army. He had seen and experienced God in his life. He had experienced his love. He was a man who wanted more of God his heart was literally pointed towards God but then we get to 2nd Samuel chapter 11 and we read the first five verses where um, David goes and he commits adultery with Bathsheba she becomes pregnant they're going to have a child now but David doesn't stop there David um, then begins to try to cover this up he goes and has Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband, he, he tells um, them to send him in. And so David's plan is, I'm going to bring him in from the battlefield. I'm going to let him go home, sleep with his wife. Then we can cover this thing up. We'll just say that it was Uriah's baby. Then he realizes that Uriah is a man of integrity. He's a man of honor. He won't go home. He sleeps with the servants in the courtyard of the palace instead of going home to his wife. And so that plan gets messed up, this plan to cover up the sin. And so he says, well, then we can do this. He sends a message to a guy named Joab, who's the commander of his army. And he says, when you go into battle, I want you to put Uriah on the, the fiercest front line where the battle is the most intense. And I want you to withdraw. I want you to leave him there. And I want you to let him get killed. And if you read on, you see where that's exactly what happened, that Uriah, because of David's orders, is killed. So David has lied, he has manipulated, he's committed adultery, he's committed murder. And so how do we look at this from 1 Samuel 13, that he's a man after God's own heart, and then we come to 2 Samuel 11, and we see that 
He's done all these things. I mean, isn't his sin just as great as Saul's that we talked about last week? Why is Saul rejected and David accepted? What's the difference? I'll tell you this. The difference is not that one was sinful and the other wasn't. The difference isn't that one was broken and the other wasn't. The difference is how they responded to their brokenness. See, as you look throughout David's life, he is human just like we are. One of the things that King David teaches us and shows us is, again, that every person is broken. We've all been broken by our sin. And because of that, in many ways, we don't function the way we were designed to function. And so David um, is a picture of our brokenness, but David is also a picture of how we turn from our sin and come back to God. David's life was marked by his faithfulness that when he did mess it up, he was quick to come back. And here's the thing I know for you and for I, not only have we messed it up in the past, Many of us messed it up this morning and then we're going to mess it up again. Does that make sin okay? Are we trying to rationalize sinning? Absolutely not, but we can strive for perfection. We just got to realize we're not going to attain it. And so the best thing we can do is come to a place of acceptance and realization that I am a broken person marred by sin and I need to be reconciled to God. I need to be restored to God. I need to be transformed by God and recognize that if it's not for God, I'm in big trouble. I think one of the things that happens to David in 2 Samuel is he's really got a lot of security around him. I, I feel like he gets to this place where he's pretty comfortable. He's pretty much subdued all of the enemies around him. He's, he's, he's built himself a palace and he's living in the palace. And so he's really comfortable. And, and if you look at David's life, he was always going to battle. There was always someone to fight. There was always someone after him. And his whole life he was going and doing what God wanted him to do but it wasn't done because he was interested in just the doing it was done out of a love for God that brought obedience into his life and he gets to this place though where he loses his dependence on God and he begins to take his eyes off of God and physically even we see where his eyes went and then he ends up sinning adultery murder lies manipulation and then he tries to cover the whole thing up. And so we see where all of this is largely due to the fact that David has gotten to a place of comfort and almost a place of kind of made it. I got all this stuff and I'm not even going to war. He's sending out some warriors here and we're going to go finish off an enemy, but they can handle it. And so you see where David's eyes begin to be misdirected. He begins to lose his dependence in a way on God. He's no longer turning to God the way his life was marked for so many years. 
And what I want you to see in that is that as broken people, I don't care how long you've been in the church, I don't care how many times you've done the Bible in a year. I don't care if you got the perfect Sunday school certificate for attendance. I don't care about any of those things. This is what I know today. If we take our eyes off of Christ, we're going to fall. When we lose our dependence, when we lose our all, when we lose the experience with God moment by moment day after day when we get away from the reality of our relationship with him we are broken people and the brokenness comes out because the best I can produce is not good fruit the best I can produce is death and destruction but what God gives me through his spirit is fruit of the spirit his character in nature what he gives me through the spirit is life and I can't produce that on my own but we get surrounded and secure and we begin to look to other things our eyes begin to drift from the Lord we lose our awe of the gospel scripture becomes something we just look for something else to do rather than seeing again who God is and what he's done and who we've become despite our sin. And so we see where we have a choice. We can continue in our own way or we can recognize where we're at. We can recognize our brokenness and we can turn to God. But brokenness is either going to drive us one way or the other. We're not going to stay the same. We're either going to drift and go or run further away or we're going to turn and intentionally come to God. You see with David after this, the prophet Nathan comes to him and he rebukes David for what he's done. He tells him that you know, God sees this and in verse 13 of chapter 12, it says, then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. He recognizes his sin. And oftentimes when we think about repentance, we think about what that means. It's all focused on our sin. But I want you to see that this recognition, this feeling sorrow, this remorse, this guilt that David is feeling, that's not the extent of repentance. In fact, seeing the sin is really the bad news right? It's when I look at it and I realize how far, far I've fallen, how much I don't line up with him. I realize just how really sinful I am. But see, recognizing my sin, even feeling the weight of my sin, as I hear people say a lot, that's not the whole equation of repentance. Walking in condemnation or even punishing myself for a period of time or waiting until my conscience kind of clears up so I can come back to God or try to come back to church or try to feel good about myself. That's not repentance. 
Repentance is not just seeing my sin. It's not just recognizing that I'm broken. It's not just wallowing in my dysfunction. It's not recognizing that I'm not okay and stopping there. It's recognizing the grace of God that he's offered me through Jesus. It's seeing my sin, yes, and seeing the path I blaze, yes, and seeing all the calamity of my life, yes, but standing high above all of my sin. I have to lift up my eyes to see the cross and the bloody cross that Jesus died on to take my sin, to be the sacrifice for my sin. And so I don't stop wallowing in my sin. I don't live there in condemnation. I realize that there's the hope of grace. And so I turn from this, realizing that it is death, destruction, and it is no good for me. And I turn to God, not because I have to and because it's something else to do, but because I I can. And so I turn. Repentance is literally turning. It's changing our mind. One of the best, uh, to me, illustrations of this is when Jesus talks about the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes off to a foreign country and he begins to squander all of the wealth that he's gotten from his father. And, And he gets to a place where he's a Jewish boy who sees pigs as unclean and yet he's in the pig pen working with the pigs and wanting to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. He's gotten to a low place. He has sinned greatly. He is unclean. And yet it says in one of my favorite verses in Scripture, it says he came to his senses. In other words, he had a change of mind. He realized, I don't have to be here. I don't have to live this way. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to return to him. And if nothing else, maybe he'll make me a servant because living as his servant is so much better than living in the pig pen. And so he begins to go home thinking, maybe he'll accept me as a servant. But here's the thing we've got to realize is that when he left, his father didn't turn his back on him. His father didn't give up hope that one day he'd come home. His father was evidently looking for him because it says when he was a long way off, his father ran to meet him. He saw him. He didn't wait until he came home so that he could get there and work for a few years to try to work off the sin he had committed. When he started home, the father went to him. The relationship was reconciled. The father restored him as his son and he went on with his life. That's the picture of repentance. It's not staying in the pig pen and going, this is what I deserve. I'm just going to punish myself for the rest of my life. There's no way I can go to God. If that's what we think, that we just got to stay here in brokenness because I'm not okay, rather than realizing I can come to God, then our view of grace, the cross, the resurrection, and what God's done for us is too small. I don't care, listen, I don't care how big the sin is you've committed because Paul tells us in Scripture, he tells us that where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And again, it's not a crutch. Grace is not a crutch I limp through life with. Grace is the catalyst of God's love and power, his unconditional love. It tells me I don't have to stay here. I can go back. 
It's when we realize that the cross, that the power of the resurrection is greater than my sin. And as we grow in Christ, we begin to recognize when we begin to wonder, when we begin to stray from his presence. And as we grow in Christ, we begin to turn more quickly. We don't wander as far. And it's not that we're driven by by the feeling of guilt or by our sin. We're driven by a desire for God's presence. When we look at Psalm 51, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. But Psalm 51 is a psalm that David wrote while right after he went through all of this with Bathsheba and the adultery and the murder and all the stuff that happened. It's a great picture of repentance. See, David didn't stop in 2 Samuel 12, 3, where he said, I have sinned. He moved on. And I've been telling you the last couple of weeks that when we go to Scripture, we need to be looking to see who God is. We need to be looking to see who I am. We need to be looking to see what's God done And we need to be looking to see who now I have become because of Jesus. And even in the Old Testament, even before Jesus had come, David, because of his experience with God and his experience with his word, he began to understand the character and nature of God. And you're going to see those things in this song. Listen, he says this. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He's recognizing who God is. He's recognizing what God's like. He realizes that God is a merciful God. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. And it's a good thing his mercies are new every morning because so is our sin. So is our brokenness, our struggle. But he knows God is merciful. He knows that God has unfailing love. His love is not going to fail. He knows that God will be faithful. He knows he's a God of great compassion. And so he's not staying here. He's saying, God, I know who you are and I'm drawing near to you. And he goes on and says blot out my transgressions he's not saying God overlook them he's saying take them away and we know that through Jesus that's what God has done is he's lifted them off he's taken them from us they're no longer on us and so we are able to come to God not staying where we were but coming to him Verse 2, he says, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The picture would be uh, someone going and they've got a wash basin or they're at a river and they've got the, uh, the, the washboard and they're scrubbing the clothes and they're washing them clean and they're getting out the dirt and the filth and, and the stain. And what he's saying in this is, God, Scrub me, wash me, make me clean again, God. Make me clean before you. Don't leave me this way, but cleanse me from my sin. He has an accurate understanding of him. Listen to this. For I know my transgressions. 
Basically, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. And my sin is always before me. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He's not only recognizing his sin, he's recognizing that whatever happens is really justified. And so he sees this difference in the mercy God offers and what he really deserves. He sees what God should give him, but what God has given us is grace. He hasn't given us what we deserve. He's given us grace. He's given us love. He's given us Jesus. And so he hasn't treated us when we come to faith in Christ as our actions deserve. He says that even though I was sinful from birth, he says, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. He knows what God desires. He has just fallen short of it. And so listen to what he says next in verse seven. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. When they would take the hyssop and the, the sacrifices that they did, the Israelites would do. They would take the hyssop plant, they would dip it in the blood, they would sprinkle it on the altar. And so basically what he's referring to is the sacrifice. And see, not only does David show us the fact that all people are broken, he also points us here and elsewhere, he points us to the reality that one day someone from his lineage would be a perfect king who would come and establish his rule and reign forever. And when he's talking about this hyssop, he's talking about the sacrifice, he's talking about what Jesus is going to do. He's, he's almost, it's like he's looking into the future. Now we have the ability to look in hindsight and realize that what David is asking for, what he's wanting God to do is what God has done for us through our faith in Jesus, that he's taken our sin away. And not only did he take it away, but the stains of the sin that was there, he's now washed us and making us white as snow. And so that we realize that in Christ, I have become a new creation. We realize that in Christ, my sin no longer defines me. We realize that in Christ, I've been made pure even though in my life I know that's not me but see when God's word is the highest authority in my life I don't have the option of forming an opinion about anything about God or about myself about or about anyone else because it's defined by God he tells me who he is who I am and why I exist and when I look at this I see that what Jesus is going to do as I look forward and now we look back is greater than my sin so I don't have to stay here I can turn in repentance I can have a change of mind I can come to my senses and say this is dumb this is stupid I've sinned against God I'm longing for him and I'm going to go back and I don't have to earn it back I don't have to work it off all I've got to do is recognize once again what God's done and who I am and I can come back to my heavenly father who is waiting for me to come home but but listen 
Here's the problem with this. Here's the problem with this. We have heard repentance so much in church and throughout our life that we can't wrap our minds around this because our brains are clogged with a religious system that has taught us if you feel guilty, that's good, then you might get your crap together. And if, you, if we can keep you guilty, then we can make you do what we want you to do. That's not God. The church is afraid to tell you you're forgiven. The church is afraid to tell you that if you just get a revelation of who God is, your sin, but don't stop there. You see what he's done and see who you've become. The church is afraid to tell you that the spirit of God will transform you as you draw near to him and, and he will set you free. We want to manipulate and control. We want to tell people what to do. We may trust him to bring them to salvation. But once you see that through God I have been made right, once you see and you become in awe of what God's done, then you're going to find out you don't need me as much as you think you do. God can speak to you. And so my, my hope is this. Listen, I know this. In our minds, our minds are tangled. Our minds, even our, our mind about God has been distorted by what we've seen, what we've experienced. Our mind about what it is to be a Christian or a follower of Christ has been distorted by our experience. And, and this is the thing I realized. It's gonna take some time for you and I to begin to unravel what we've known for, in many cases, most of our life. But I can tell you this, the reason that the mission of God is not happening, the reason why our lives are not being transformed is not because we come to a place where we try harder or we just stay in our sin or we just say, I'm not okay and that's okay. We realize that the grace of God doesn't leave me that way. And when we're driven not by what we do, but who we are, our life begins to change and the mission begins to change. The fruit of our life is different, but you can grit your teeth, you can grind, you can sweat, you can do all the stuff you wanna do, you can serve until your, your hands bleed, you can read until you go blind, you can do all of these things, but the thing I'm telling you is you will never get to God by what you do. It will only be by trusting in what he's done and realizing that if you wait to get your crap together, you're never coming to him. So the motivation of repentance, guys, is it is seeing my sin, absolutely. But I don't stop there. I don't stop there. I have to lift my eyes up above the sin and see what God's done. I have to recognize the futility of going my own way. I have to recognize the futility of trying to fill myself with empty things. I recognize that this is, this is garbage. This is trash. And I can have God and 
David really points this out to us. He says, God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And listen to this. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I want you to see that what motivates David is the presence of God. David knows what it is to live with God. He knows what it is to be in the Holy Spirit. He knows what it is to be in God's presence. And once we've tasted that the Lord is good, once we've been in his presence, once we've seen, once we've tasted, once we've realized who he is, once we realize his great love for us, then what we begin to experience with God is so much greater than what I can experience over here. But we're never going to get to this place by focusing on my struggle my sin we're going to get there because i've come to god in faith and trust and now i've experienced his faithfulness and now i don't ever want to leave this place i know this when i got saved i had been around the church for a few years didn't necessarily grow up in church but i can tell you this i was well i am so stubborn right that the thought of judgment, the thought of hell, and I understand I probably didn't have a good perspective of what it would really be like, but fear didn't scare me to God. It wasn't when I began to be terrified. It wasn't when I really thought I needed to get my life together. It wasn't when I went to college and kind of fell in this low place and then I got married and was starting to have kids so I was like well we better get them in church that's not what happened it wasn't that I had my consequences drive me to God it was when I realized God's great love for me and when I realized it in that moment and I realized all I've got to turn is to go back and I realized I'm two weeks removed from St. Patrick's Day on River Street at a bachelor party. Need I say more? Or my own bachelor party. Some of y'all were there. Don't act like you're innocent. And I, I look at those things, and now my wife's going to be asking what happened at my bachelor party. But I look at those things, and I, I realize that when I encountered the grace and the love of God, those things didn't matter anymore. I didn't want those things. Used to, I could walk by a bar, smell cigarette smoke, and I was like this. I was going in, right? That's where it was at. It was where I was supposed to be. I, I wanted those things. I, I, that's what I thought would fulfill me. And then I came to a place of experiencing God's love and the power of his grace. I realized he took all that crap off my plate and he had given me life. And this was my greatest fear. I don't ever want to leave him again. 
Have I? Absolutely. I didn't become perfect in that moment, but I can tell you this, I became different. I'm as broken as anybody in this room. But my heart's been touched by the love of God. I've learned more and more over and over what it is to screw it up and yet what it is to be embraced in the arms of God. When I finally finish with my stubborn ways and I finally get tired of doing it my way, he's faithful and he's there. And I I experience that again. And it makes me once again say, I don't ever want to go back to that place again. I want y'all to see that a religious system doesn't do that for you. Showing up one out of four Sundays doesn't do that for you. Just sitting in a chair four out of four Sundays doesn't do that for you. Playing the game, trying to maintain an image, trying to do enough to ease your conscience, trying to make it right on your own, trying to punish yourself for what you did. It's missing the point that Jesus took your punishment for you. Now move beyond the sin and the unforgiveness and the bitterness and turn to God who loves you and who's greater than your sin, who's greater than your mistake who's greater than your past, who's greater than your your jacked up mind. And the more we put our eyes on Christ and lift them above the mire and the muck and the junk that we face every single day, the more we're drawn to him because of his grace, the more we're in awe of who he is and what he's done, the more we're thankful for who he's made us and what he's taken from us, and the more we're gonna draw near to him And the more we walk with him and we walk in the spirit, the more his character and nature is going to be seen in us and produced in us so that our marriage is affected, so that my parenting is affected, so that my friendships are affected, so that my workplace is affected, so that all the areas of my life are now impacted, not because... Jesus is a part of my life, but I realize that he is all of my life, that he is the giver of life, that he's the giver of every good thing. And I crave his presence. I want to know him. It's realizing that when we trip and stumble I don't have to compound it just like David did he's trying to cover it up that's that's religion religion doesn't make you whole religion doesn't cleanse you religion doesn't make you white as snow coming to God through faith in Jesus does 
This is what I know. Every person in here today, including myself, is dealing with sin of some sort and on some level. And for some of us, we're running from it. Some of us have been running from it all our lives. Some of us are running because we're afraid of the consequences. Some of us are running because we just never knew another way. But I wanna tell you today, despite the consequences you may face, I'm telling you today, the way to wholeness is not to try to cover it up, but it's to bring it to God. It's to confess it, it's to get it out, it's to turn from it. It's to by faith and trust in the promises of God. It's to yield it, sin has consequences, but it doesn't mean we have to live that way. We don't have to stay in our consequences alone. We have a God who even in the mess that we've made comes in and gives us strength to endure. Some of us are reeling because the consequences have called us. Some people are pondering, committing a sin. You've had thoughts about things that you know aren't right, but you're thinking about, should I do this? I think I might. Is it really that big a deal? Some of us are in denial and we won't admit where we are. We won't admit our need. We won't admit, admit our desperation. We're trying to uphold an image and we've rationalized it away that other people around me are just as screwed up as I am, so it's okay for me. But if they're going down a path of destruction, if they're not walking in the joy of salvation, why are you gonna stay there when you can have this? There are people who are drowning today in guilt and condemnation for their sin. And I'm telling you that you don't have to walk in that. You can come here and you can walk with God because of the power of his grace and love. And I believe this is a lot of people. I believe there are a lot of people here today who are tired. You're tired of carrying it. You're tired of walking with it. You're tired of toting that sin, that that mistake with you. And I'm encouraging you today to leave that here. I don't want you to carry that away from here. Some of you, listen, started out well. But over time, it's become more about what you do than who you are and who you are in a relationship with. And so everything in your life has begun to be defined not by God, but by the world. Rather than conforming to God, we've conformed to what's around us. And I pray that today would be a wake up for you. So I want to pray for us. Listen, today, if you've never accepted Christ today, you say, that's what I need. I need God in my life. I don't need a religious system. I don't need to play a game. I don't need to cover. I don't need to cover up. I don't need to protect my image. I don't want that any longer. What I want is God. But you've never said yes to Christ or put your trust and your faith in him give you that opportunity if today you say today's the day of salvation for me putting my trust my faith in Christ the 
one thing I know is I need God in my life, then I'm going to ask you just to stand up where you're at. You stand to your feet. Let us celebrate that with you. It's not something to be ashamed of. Amen. Listen, it's not something to be ashamed of. Thank you, brother. I'm going to ask that someone with the prayer team, maybe a connect group leader, somebody, if you would, um, would you be willing to pray? We just want to uh, help these folks who are making this decision, help them take their next steps and walk with them in this new relationship, this new life. So who else? Maybe today you know it's you and your heart maybe is beating 100 miles an hour. Listen, why are you waiting? Why continue down the same path when God's given life? Today, I'm gonna open up the altar. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. Listen, it's not about the physical act of coming here, but it is recognizing that there's things I need to let go of. And listen, for a lot of us, it's not just letting go of something. It is receiving something in return from God. And I want you to remember that if we trust in God's word, that we don't even have the right to form an opinion about ourselves because God tells us who we are. And so I'm going to pray and you can respond. Listen, if you want to stay in your seat, I... You be obedient to what God leads you to do and listen in repentance, let's come back to him. God, thank you so much for your love in our lives that transforms us. God, we know it's the greatest gift you've given greater than prophecy or knowledge or any of those things, God. The greatest gift is love. The greatest gift has given us Jesus. You so loved God that you gave. Would you fill us again with your love? God, let us lift our eyes above our sin, above the calamity, above the weight, the condemnation. God, would you let us put our eyes on the cross and in all of what you've done and who you're making us to become and the declaration of righteousness you've made over our lives, God we would draw near to you and worship you with all that we have. God, I love you and thank you for each person here. Would you let them remember your promises and trust in those as we go about our life and that it wouldn't be that Jesus is a part of our life, but that he is our life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Hope you have a good week.